Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless Possible. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, Zara McDonald. Hello. Coming up on today's show, Nigella Lawson's buttered toast technique becomes a very (laughs) British scandal. Plus, Angie Kent rightly disparages cover story clickbait. And then, is this the end of Pete Evans as we know him? But first, Michelle, how was your week? My week was fine. I always find it interesting when you and I pronounce words differently. Disparages. I would have said disparages. Uh, Is it either? I mean, I, it's, I guess it's a small pronunciation difference, but it's not like a complete embarrassment. You know, when you say a word out loud and then someone comes back to you and says, that's not at all how it was meant to be pronounced. I'm having flashbacks to Minseppis, which Min- I feel... <laughs> OG listeners will remember Minseppis. Oh, you lost it over Minseppis. For those who haven't heard the Minseppi story, I'm going to recap this very quickly, but it is really Christmas time and maybe this can be our Christmas tidbit for the show. But we were laughing one show, I can't remember what sparked it, about words that you pronounce wrong your whole life. Yeah. And I did some embarrassing stuff in uni toots and was pulled up on it and my mum's OG story was one of her best friends from high school read what she thought was Minseppi's when in reality it was mince pie. It's so good. Every time I think back to that, I'm like, that is a classic. The other one we gave in that episode was Placebo, my friend from from high school, oh. Maddie used to always say place bow instead of placebo. Anyway, very good week. We did have lots of listeners write in to tell us what our Emily in Paris names would be. Happy to announce that you are Zara in the Sahara and I am Michelle in the Seychelles. I'm disappointed in us that we didn't get there fast enough last week. In our defence, they're not cities. We said it has to be cities. The Sahara and Seychelles are not cities. But thank you to the listeners who wrote in. You're right. They're probably better than what was it, Michelle in Montreal. <laughs> <laughs> and Zara in Canada. <laughs> so I have to like re-pronounce Canada in order for it to fit. Exactly. I do have a recommendation for you. What have you got? 
In true basic bitch fashion, I got on board the Gigi Hadid vodka pasta train. This is a train that's been running for months and months and months, but I already got on it. I don't even know if the train's running anymore. It kind of is. That's how late you are. It came up on my TikTok one too many times. Like I was scrolling through my For You page and it came up maybe three videos in the space of a week. I'm like, you know what? I just need to try it. If you haven't seen it, Gigi Hadid has a viral pasta recipe that is basically. Thickened cream, tomato based. <laughs> it's not much. <laughs> a bit of vodka and what else? It's like basil. It's very, very basic. That said, it is very, very good. It is so easy to make. And I know that I told the listeners I would always give Christmas themed recommendations until the end of the year. My only Christmassy spin off of this is to maybe wear a Santa hat while you do it. On that topic, last week when I recommended a moody Christmas, I'm sorry, I know none of you can find it. I am trying my best. I am on a mission to find out where a moody Christmas is available. I know that you can buy it on Google Play and you can buy it on YouTube, but I want to help the listeners, Zara. I don't want people to have to pay $20 to watch this series. It's worth it though. It I bought it. I bought it last year. I remember now that that's how I watched it. I bought it off Apple, I think, or Google Play. I've forgotten which one now. Mm. (laughs) Very helpful of me. But it's it's available somewhere is the long and the short of it. But Patrick Brammel did reply to our DM. He did. So we messaged Patrick Brammel on Instagram on Wednesday. We wrote, Patrick, SOS, help us. Where can our listeners watch a moody Christmas? We can't find it anywhere with like a million groaning emojis. He responded. Hell of a question, girls. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine ABC will run it closer to Chrissy. But in the meantime, is it not on their iView or anything? We said nothing. The people are getting desperate. He said, I'm in the States, so I'm not across local (laughs) shenanigans. To which we said, the search continues and he left us on red. (laughs) (laughs) He left us on red. I love how particularly unhelpful his response was. Like, was it, is it on iView? It's like, well, <laughs> yeah. you bet we've checked it. I'm pretty sure based on the actors' responses, yes, if you're wondering, we've reached out to multiple actors in A Moody Christmas. Apparently it gets put on iView every December. I will chase that up. I will have an answer for you by the next episode because the people need this show in their lives. You're making a lot of promises, i.e. having a Christmas recommendation every episode, <laughs> having an answer by next week. I just think make your life easier and say, I'll have an answer when I've got one. I mean, this is all the time that's been freed up by me not getting my wisdom teeth done. The longer I go, the more time I have for these kinds of activities. How are you? How was your week? Week was fine, though I also have another bone to pick with ABC Ivy. Last week I came onto the show and recommended The Rise of the Murdoch Dynasty, which yes. is a three-part documentary done by the BBC, which was put on iview. You wouldn't believe what happened. What happened? I got two episodes in. And <gasps> they took it off. They took it off <gasps> before I could get the last one. I was losing my mind. I was sitting there being like, I'm going crazy. Where is this? It took me an hour and a half. So I reckon I sat down on Thursday night to watch the third episode and I was like so excited. You know when you're really looking forward to watching a show throughout yes. the day? Yes. Get to 8.30, perfect timing because the show runs for about an hour and then I'm cooked. I'm out to bed. <laughs> and 8.30, couldn't find anything. It took me an hour and 20 minutes and you bet by the time the hour and 20 minutes was up for me to find it, I was over it. I didn't want to watch it, but I thought I had to. Finally found it. It's just my luck. Why does iView remove things like that? Like how long had it been up for? Well, the thing was the dates didn't line up. If I was like, if it was 30 days or 31 days, it would make sense. But it was about eight weeks. It's not enough time. We need years. We need years (laughs) and years to catch up. There's that much content out there. ABC, if you're listening, 
30 days, 80 days, 100 days. Not enough. We need at least two years. We need a million days. But I was just devastated. Anyway, still such a worthy um, (laughs) show, but I'm so sorry to everyone listening. You're never going to fucking find it. I love that we're sending the listeners on such a wild goose chase. Like these are the most hard to get recommendations. They weren't even meaning to be. The the Rise of the Murdoch Dynasty is one of the most popular documentaries this year. A Moody (laughs) Christmas, the most popular Christmas show of the year. Iconic Australian TV show. I view if you're listening, we want answers. We want a moody Christmas. We want the Murdoch dynasty back on. Please respond. The public broadcaster is not working <laughs> for the public. Let me tell you that much. Anyway, my recommendation this week is I am about two thirds of the way through our book club book, Ghosts by Dolly yes. Alderton. And I don't recommend things before I'm finished them because I think that's ridiculous. But it is our book club book anyway. So if you haven't got your hands on it, please do. I don't know if many people listen to Dolly Alderton's podcast, The Hilo. I imagine quite a few of our listeners do. And because I've listened to her on the podcast for so long, I find her writing is much funnier because even though it's fiction, I can hear her voice through the jokes that she tells through her characters yeah. and I just find myself cackling. And Dolly Alderton is really fucking funny. Yeah. Like she is such a bright light on the Hilo podcast that she has such a like whip smart sense of humour as well. It's silly. I think you can hear her silliness and I just... Just love it. So if you haven't got your hands on our book club book, it is Ghosts by Dolly Alderton. We will be dropping our book club podcast this Saturday mm. to recap that. So Michelle, I imagine you better get reading. Yeah, I know. I'm such a crammer. I like know. I did this in university. I used to always say I cram because I get an adrenaline rush and then my work ends up being better. It's just an excuse. I'm just lazy. I cram everything in my life, including our own book club. Oh, 100%. I think this may be a particularly unpopular opinion now that I say it on a podcast, but I think that people who cram say that they're more productive crammers to make sense of their own laziness. Oh, 100%. Okay, great. (laughs) There literally wasn't a university assignment that I started more than two days out of the due deadline. Let's not bullshit around it. You're not doing it because it's in the best interest of the assignment. No. You're doing it because it's in the best interests of your procrastination. Yeah, and like binge watching Netflix, 100%. Exactly. Anyway, before we get to the hotline today, Michelle, we have had a big, big weekend. We have. As you guys would have heard if you listened to the bonus snippet that we put live on our Instagram feed, Zara, on the weekend, we had a little bit of a bet with the boys at the Matt and Alex show because we were both nominated in the same category at the Australian Podcast Awards. Yes, we were both nominated for Best Entertainment Podcast and we said to them, Mish, if you win, you have to, I can't even remember the damn bet now. We originally said you have to get a tattoo. They said no. We said, okay, get a belly button piercing. They said no to that as well. And then we said, okay, you have to make a a podcast jingle where you admit defeat and admit that you are the inferior podcast. They said yes. And they said to us, if you guys lose, you have to do a Zoom dancing Zumba (laughs) fucking weird class with Alex online so that they can share it. As backup dancers, which is my worst fear. Obviously, the podcast awards happened on the weekend, Mish. Yes. And of course, we have the results. A drum roll, please, Annabelle Lee. We have sad news. We do have sad news. We are a pack of losers sitting at this table broadcasting to you right now. We lost. They beat us. They beat us. But who is surprised? Matt and Alex is a very good show. They are 
pretty good people and we are going to have to do a Zumba because of it. So glad you're really humble. I'm planning on egging the judges' cars. (laughs) (laughs) No, congratulations to Matt and Alex. We're going to be good sports, of course. Cannot wait to get up and be a backup dancer. Just kidding. I'm literally going to dread it. This will cause me anxiety every day while I count down to having to do this. I know. And a huge shout out to to the legends over at Just the Gist who took out the category. But in terms of Zumba, Mish, rest assured, we will be sharing the whole thing on social media because as losers we have to do the losing thing and that is make the loss worse literally fuck our lives honestly we will keep you updated but for now mish let's get to the hotline who do we have today Lately, Zara, we've started a bit of a trend. The trend is celebrity run-ins. Last week at the end of the episode, we asked the wonderful listeners, do you have a Hillsong celebrity run-in story? Round of applause, please, Annabelle Lee, for listener Sophie, because she came through with this. Hey guys, it's Sophie here. I have had a celebrity run in at Hillsong Conference in 2015. So my friend and I were walking to the bathroom through a warehouse, and in the warehouse, Justin Bieber and Haley Baldwin were playing basketball back when they were dating for the first time and we were very much told to keep walking and we weren't allowed to speak to them or anything but the eye contact was had and it was a pretty spectacular experience. I do love that our rule for a celeb run-in has to be eye contact was had. So now (laughs) people are specifying that eye contact was had, even though there's absolutely no proof in the world that eye contact (laughs) was actually had. Regardless, Sophie, thank you for sending this in. I also love the little tidbit that they were playing basketball at church. Well, I think that tidbit proved to us that this was not a lie. I was a little bit worried that we'd get a bunch of hotline messages (laughs) that were complete bullshit. But this is believable. I can imagine Justin and Hayley going and getting their spiritual Christianity thing on at church and then like finishing with a game of basketball. I can just see it. Shooting hoops. Actually, that is one thing that we haven't even spoken about is what we do with all of these very unverified stories. (laughs) But fuck it. Who needs verification when we're just talking celeb run-ins? Speaking of celeb run-ins, they literally have not stopped this week. You guys have been crazy calling the hotline and throwing them on there. I particularly loved this one from Livia. Hi, Michelle and Zara. Love your work. Re-celebrity run-ins. My mum and I bumped into Adam Sandler in America a few years ago. I've never been a huge fan of his, purely just because I think his films can be a little bit reductive. However, he was so lovely. He was staying at the same hotel as us in Hawaii. My mum had actually broken her foot on the trip and was in a moon boot. So the hotel had given us a wheelchair in order for us to be able to scoot her around for the rest of the trip. Anyway, we pressed the elevator button to go up and the doors opened to Adam Sandler and one of his young daughters. I literally was like, oh my God, like, don't worry, we'll get the next one. And he was like, no, please, like, don't be silly. And actually helped lift mum's wheelchair over the gap to help get us into the elevator. He was super nice and a total gentleman. Dare I say I'm surprised? Like, I'm sorry to Adam Sandler. Obviously, he's a lovely guy and I'm so stoked for him. If you had asked me before I heard that voicemail, would Adam Sandler be a bit of a dick? I would have said yes. And I think it's because of his movies being so juvenile and annoying. And I'm pretty sure in the space between I made more than one joke at Adam Sandler's expense. I'm a little bit shocked that he's a really good guy. Well, I've never found an Adam Sandler movie funny, and that is hardly Mm. shocking. I don't think many women our age do, although I know what exactly is going to happen now is we're going to get a bunch of women calling the whole... I mean, like, (laughs) I love Adam Sandler. Except the 50 First Dates. That is a good movie. I do like that movie. 
But when it comes to this, I don't know, maybe it's because I never gave it enough thought as to whether Adam Sandler was nice or mean. So now with this hotline message in my brain, I'm like, well, of course he was nice. Of course he was always going to be nice. That is lovely. Being stuck in an elevator with a celebrity, I think I would uncontrollably giggle. I would uncontrollably sweat. Yeah. I would just get like really clammy and like awkward and I'd probably stare at the floor and have one of those like dumb smiles on my face because I wouldn't be able to contain it. 100%. But I did like that one because Adam Sandler, I was just, I just wasn't expecting Adam Sandler to pop up on the hotline is all I'm going to say. I want really obscure celebrities. Like I love getting the Margot Robbies. I love getting all the others, but who is like the most niche celebrity, even like Australian celebrity that you've had a run in, even out like, have you had a run in with a drunk celebrity? What are they like? Oh, here we go. Just <laughs> <laughs> it continues for another week. Zara, we are jumping into our first segment. It is, of course, about how Nigella Lawson butters toast. I know. Who would have thought that the great British scandal of this week would be about Nigella Lawson's buttering of toast? To be honest, everybody, this is about <laughs> as predictable as it gets when it comes to celebrity chefs. For those who missed it, Nigella Lawson on a recent episode of BBC Two's Cook, Eat, Repeat said this about how she butters toast. I favour the two-stage buttering approach and so far only stage one has taken place and that's to say the minute this came out of the toaster and still lovely and hot, I spread it with butter so that the butter has melted down into it and it'll give it a fabulous crumpety bite. Stage two now, ready for it. I need a little more butter and it will stay in some golden patches on the surface. It's unsalted butter, which I always prefer to use, but what I need to do is sprinkle some sea salt flakes over. I am intrigued, Mish, if this is what happens when you get to maybe... 60, I think Nigella Lawson's 60 or just under and you're still a celebrity chef and there are no recipes left in the world to tell. Yes, I think this is absolutely it. This feels like Nigella Lawson was trying to submit an assignment. You know, when you're like doing a university assignment to carry on that analogy from earlier in the show and you're like maybe 100 or 200 words off the word count, like the acceptable word count. It sounds like she got maybe 25 minutes into a half hour show and was like, I need some filler content. Like I need something. And the only thing that came to her team's mind was let's come up with a bizarre way to butter toast where you just do it twice. Do you think there's an element of let's do something quite basic in a pretty ridiculous way because it's going to have some sort of public conversation like I don't think they would have predicted that it would have been this big I mean this was covered on every major news website and not even just in Britain this was worldwide so I don't think they could have predicted this but part of me thinks something like this is deliberately designed to manufacture conversation see I would love to think that but I do think some celebrity chefs get so engrossed in their craft that this kind of like minutia and these little details of like butter the toast once let it simmer in and like become a crumpet then butter it again and it goes all golden and then sprinkle some salt on but make sure the butter isn't salted like I'm pretty sure they just take their shit that seriously that I'm actually not sure if anyone on the team would have stopped to go is this a bit ridiculous? Like, should we just show people how to make me at this rate? I actually think it's kind of smart. Really? 100%. Would you make toast this way? Well, no, but I'm tempted to. She <laughs> sold it to me. The way that she was talking about this toast and the buttering of the toast made me think, I don't have a piece of toast and butter by itself ever, really, <laughs> and that I should. And I did appreciate the technique of letting it sink into the toast. 
Like I actually thought it was pretty smart. But I maybe I'm want to leave anomaly. you hanging. I almost don't want to come in and rescue you because that's just fucking dumb. I did adore the fact, as you say, though, that she said that she was strictly eating unsalted butter and then just covered it in salt flakes after. I know. I do love how many people took the piss out of this segment. Like the Telegraph UK absolutely nailed it. They did an entire article where they asked a bunch of chefs, like well-known esteemed chefs in the UK, if they endorsed the double buttering technique. None of them said yes. Then they came in with this line. Nigella Lawson has revealed her double buttering technique, which may just revolutionise your breakfast. They followed it with step-by-step instructions replete with images of the process. I just feel like it was the biggest piss take in the entire world. Coming up after the break, is this the end of Pete Evans? First, a word from today's sponsor. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Zara, fine-footed, Alice with an E, McDonald. What have you got for me? I have a few stories for you today, Michelle. My first story, Angie Kent reveals the cost of her cosmetic procedures in body and soul. That is from news.com. This was quite the spicy one. It was. So for our international listeners who may not have heard of Angie Kent before, she started as a star, uh, a favourite star of Gogglebox. Mm. She then was promoted, I guess, to Bachelorette, where she met her now ex-boyfriend, Carlin. So it's been in the public eye for a little while now. Yeah, Dancing with the Stars too. And I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. She is like a serial reality TV star in Australia. So true. I missed half of her resume. (laughs) So what happened is last weekend, she was on the cover of Body and Soul. And on that cover of Body and Soul, they kind of had arrows pointing to different parts of her face with a dollar sign of how much all of the treatment cost. Now, in Body and Soul's defense, Angie Ken is very, very transparent about the work that she's had done to Mm. her face. Like that is something that she wants to always be very open about what she's had done and how often she has it done. The headline that they ran this story under was why it costs $26,740 a year to look like this. Now, I think where the anger on Angie's behalf came from is that she sat down to do this interview and be on this cover and had no idea how it was actually going to be put out to the world. And the fact that on the cover, there would be those arrows to different features on her face. There would be a makeup artist doing her eyeshadow and a hairstylist pulling her hair out. I actually don't think it was a kind cover to run. She did go on her Instagram page and write the following. Today I'm on the cover of Body and Soul AU, which I absolutely love doing and working with the fabulous team there. This photo shoot was so out of my normal Angie Stees and came at such a great time when I was feeling like balls during my breakup. However, I do feel the headline on the cover is a bit clickbaity. I never shy away from talking about my love for facial treatments and taking care of my skin, but I also love, love, love embracing my imperfections too. The biggest investment of all has has always been in my mental and physical health and my soul. What did you think of this cover? I thought first and foremost that Angie was very dignified because Mm. I think it would be really hard when you're put on the cover of something and then saw a headline like that, especially if you hadn't been prepped or consulted not to go a bit wild. Mm. I felt a bit annoyed because, I mean, there are many different opinions you can have about the world we live in and plastic surgery, but I think the fundamental argument here right now is that Angie Kent, in being transparent about plastic surgery, has been taken advantage of because she's been so honest. Mm. Like we've seen a woman who says, I have had all this work done and I do believe 
that you should just do you and make decisions that are right for you. And a news website has just taken that and run and wanted to make a really salacious headline out of her honesty. Yeah, I feel like as well, whenever a woman speaks about getting cosmetic procedures done, there is so much thinly veiled for concern. Yes. And I think I was one of these people as well. I think when I was 23, 24, I was probably suffering with a bit of internalised misogyny. I was a bit snarky. And every time a woman came out and said she got this stuff done to her face, I was like, oh my God, this is promoting it to other women. This poor woman who must feel so badly about herself, she wants to do this stuff. As I've grown and as I've matured, I've realised that number one, it's not like anyone fucking doesn't know what Botox and filler yeah. is. Angie Kent coming out and saying, I've had this done, does not promote it to anyone else getting it done. It's fucking everywhere yeah. all the time. We're bombarded with it. But number two, like, who cares? It's her face. It's her life. I'm actually happy she's being honest about it because it means we're not walking around going, wow, Angie Kent looks like Barbie and she's perfect and she's that way naturally. It's better to have the information up front and know exactly what's going on and know that she pays to look like that. Yeah, well, I think I've had a bit of an evolution about what I think about this and I think we've been on a similar page for a while in a sense that like I think I've definitely had faux concern about this and I've probably had faux concern on this podcast. In fact, I'd bank on that mm. being true. Mm. I mean, I still feel I still feel like my thoughts aren't fully fleshed out and I feel like a lot of women are the same. It's a very complicated thing to talk about. I mm. mean, the reason that so many of us women want this stuff done is because we live in a patriarchal structure that encourages us to do so. But I don't think Angie Kent is the problem here. Mm. I think the structure is the problem and I think taking aim at women and taking advantage of women who want to be honest about this mm. is not how we're going to create change. Yeah, it's different if you're promoting a particular plastic surgeon or a particular like cosmetic clinic and making money off it, but she didn't do that. Exactly right. My second story, Charlie D'Amelio has lost over a million followers after one video. That is from Vulture. Mish, I know not all of our listeners are on TikTok, but a lot of the world is on TikTok. Absolutely. It has officially taken over as the biggest social media app in the world. If Charlie D'Amelio's name sounds familiar, I'm sure it does, but you can't really play her. Charlie is the most followed person on TikTok. Her rise has been well documented, particularly her chasing down the elusive 100 million follower count. So she has for weeks been talking about this big reveal or this big surprise she's going to do when she hits 100 million followers. Now, Charlie's 16, and this is a lot of pressure to put on someone. She was inching very close to that tally. In fact, she hit more than 99 million followers when everything went very, very wrong last week. Yes. So Charlie and her family, her older sister Dixie and her parents, Heidi and Mark have become somewhat of a, a TikTok first family, mm. dare you say. And they released a YouTube video launching a series that was Dinner with the D'Amelios, where they'll always have a surprise guest turn up and they don't know who the guest is. And in this case, it was James Charles. And they sat down to dinner and recorded it all. And it was pretty unassuming video. The issue was in the video, Dixie and in particular, Charlie, according to fans, former fans, people who watched the video, came across as quite bratty. Yeah, they did. And I watched the video and I would absolutely say that they did. Basically what happened was they had a private chef or a personal chef cook the meal for the family. Apparently that is quite typical for the family now that they've gained so much fame and they have probably gained a lot of wealth along the way too. They have a private chef. Yeah. So the chef cooked two different types of paella. I think one was with shrimp, one was vegan. Mm -hmm. Plant-based. Plant-based. And they were like rolling their eyes while the chef was there. Charlie was asking for Dino nuggets. Is that a thing? Dino. Dino 
known. I knew I was going <laughs> to fuck that up too. Are they just dinosaur nuggets? Dinosaur nuggets. But Dixie was even worse, I would say. She was like dry reaching after trying different parts of the meal. She went and vomited at one stage. They were very much mocking the meal, very much acting like they would not eat it. It was disgusting that they were very picky eaters. And I understand how it's gotten way out of proportion, right? Like they've been sent death threats. People have been vicious with them. However, where I think the anger comes from is that the general public likes to see people grow in profile, but they always hope that your personality doesn't change or the fame and the wealth and the privileges don't go to your head. And I think, unfortunately, what this 15-minute video did is give people the impression that the fame has gone to these two girls' heads. And let me preface by saying, they're teenagers. I wouldn't be surprised if it's gone to their heads. We discussed this about two months ago saying, we don't think anyone should be this famous on TikTok at the age of 16 and 18. Well, the thing that gets me is that, yes, I also watched the video and yes, they were pretty bratty, but it also didn't seem dissimilar to a lot of 16 year olds when Mm. faced with a meal they didn't want to eat who Mm. have a bit of attitude. Like, I think that's the thing that's annoyed me a little bit with the backlash is that it's like, this isn't just fame going to your head. This is a 16 year old who has like, being told by the production team making this video to act up in this role. Yeah. Like I wouldn't be surprised if this was the entire narrative arc of the video to make it interesting and that people have put them in a position to say, exaggerate how much you don't want to eat this meal because it's going to make the video more interesting. Exactly right. And in a live on Instagram, Charlie D'Amelio did explain, she was bawling her eyes out, explaining that her team, including the chef, were like family to her and they liked to pull surprises on each other. Apparently before they sat down to record this, it was decided that they would surprise the girls with snails in the PAR because they know that they're picky eaters. I do want to make one comment though, Zara, and I wonder if you'll agree. I do judge the D'Amelio parents for making this such a franchise, for really jumping on this dinner with the D'Amelios, the D'Amelio family, pushing their family into the spotlight so completely. It does really remind me of like a stage mum and stage dad presence. And I'm just not sure, like, as we said a few months ago, of course, we're not parents. Of course, we're not in that position. But I do cringe and I do feel incredibly concerned about young teenagers having this level of fame, this level of attention and this level of scrutiny they've been bombarded with death threats all week and they're fucking teenagers and people who haven't watched this video will be rightly very confused about how there was so much backlash over one video that seems pretty innocuous and I Mm. guess that's exactly the point there's no amount of money you could pay me in the world to be as famous as these two girls are particularly at the age they are and I actually do agree with you because when I was reading about the backlash I was like no 16 year old is built to be able to handle this and they need parents who pull them back well that's the thing you cannot be this exposed Like it is going to break you almost, I think. I can't see a world where it doesn't. And I do agree with you in a sense that they're not being pulled back from the limelight. They're being actively pushed into it. And yes, they're 16 and 18 and have agency, but they're also young and developing. And I just can't imagine how this level of scrutiny would mess with your head genuinely. So having lost over a million followers from this, it will be interesting to see whether the bounce back is pretty quick, Mish. I agree. Every teenager needs refuge in their family. And if your family's also in the spotlight, I don't know where you go for safety. Yeah, here, here. My third story. Ellie Miles responds to those breakup rumours. That is from Who Magazine. Ooh. Well, another week, another Bachelorette conversation. So a couple of weeks ago, Mish, it was the Bachelorette finale. We obviously came on mic and spoke about how one of the Bachelorettes, Becky, didn't make it three days with her partner, Pete. Ellie had lasted with Fraser, though there were some weird rumours around Fraser playing up between the show finishing production and the show 
airing. It has now come out via the So Dramatic podcast and host Megan Pistetto that six anonymous women allege they have slept with Fraser while he's meant to be dating Ellie. Yeah, this one is very, very interesting. And we've been pretty loose-lipped about The Bachelorette season this year. We haven't been the biggest fans. But let me say, like, if this is true, that Fraser has been sleeping with multiple women since filming and really mistreating Ellie, his current girlfriend, then I feel fucking awful for Ellie Miles. Like, it really does feel like Ellie and Becky Miles have been royally fucked over by almost every man involved in this show. Totally. What I'm interested in this is I wonder if they're actually still together though. Like I wonder, we did posit this theory a couple of weeks ago, if Becky and Pete broke up and then there was a contract on Ali and Fraser appearing to stay together for three months for the sanctity of the show and for people to still hold on to the belief, (laughs) still hold on to the belief that the people who meet on The Bachelor are soulmates and fall madly in love. I have a theory, and I know this won't put me into the good graces of the Miles sisters, I do have a theory they're not actually together, and Fraser just happens to be living his best life up in Queensland, sleeping around with whoever he wants. Well, here's the thing, right? I hope that you're right. I do hope, for Ellie's sake, that you are right, that he's not just being an asshole sleeping behind her back. But Ellie has denied this. She said that in January she's hoping to move to Queensland, that yes, they are still together. I don't know. It's just a few too many rumours for mine and going also, around. It's so clear that if any of these rumours are true, she's way too good for him. Like she's an absolute catch. If he's treating her like this, she's way too good for him and that's why I hope they're not together. Everyone needs to keep their eye on their calendars when it comes to early to mid-Feb. That is the time period where three months have passed since the finale aired and if Sophie Monk and Stu Laundie's relationship is anything to go by and the three-month contract rumours are anything to go by, that's when Channel 10 will allow them to announce that they've split. Quick thought on that. I don't think it'll be mid-Feb because I think that they know people are talking about the three-month contract rule. I think it'll probably be for that. New year. New year because I think they won't want people to now make the assumption that there are contracts in place so the timeline's going to be all over the shop. I agree with you. Story number four, Sydney Festival show postponed due to Hugh Sheridan's casting in transgender lead role. That is from the Sydney Morning Herald. Did you see this story around Mish? I did. If you guys didn't, Hugh was set to play the lead trans character in Hedwig and the Angry Inch. It was supposed to launch next year in Sydney. However, when the social media team behind the show started posting on Instagram and announced that Hugh was going to be the lead character, people were very, very angry. Yeah, And rightly so. So in an open letter, the Queer Artist Alliance Australia said that it was offensive that Hugh had been cast as the lead instead of a transgender person. They went on to write, the choice to cast a cisgender male as a transgender character is offensive and damaging to the trans community and continues to cause genuine stress and frustration among trans and gender non-conforming performers all across Australia. It is unquestionable Hugh is a talented and deserving actor. However, it is not appropriate for a cis actor to be the gatekeeper keeper of a trans story. This one is an interesting one for me. I think I myself have changed my opinion a lot, particularly over the last 12 months. I think I used to be in the camp of thinking, well, aren't actors supposed to play different people from all walks of life? That is literally what acting is. I think that would be a valid argument if we were in a place where trans people were given a seat at the table typically. Like if there was representation and if trans people didn't have continual gatekeepers to getting into the limelight and having a profile, then yes, maybe we could get to that point where we could have that discussion. But at the moment, there is hardly any representation of trans people in Australia. And if you have a trans role, surely that is the perfect opportunity 
opportunity to platform an incredible trans person who has great talent in the acting industry. Absolutely. So in response to this open letter, the Hedwig and the Angry Inch team did release a statement saying they took the casting issue very seriously and have made the difficult decision to suspend the season. I think the idea is that their role will be recast. What I find interesting, Mish, because you are right, yes, it is important that trans people are given the roles that are designed for them, but there was actually another Twitter thread from Jen Richards back in 2016 that went viral and she has spoken about this idea on the Netflix documentary Disclosure Doc, which Mm. is executive produced by Laverne Cox and is all about trans representation in movies and TV. And in 2016, Jen Richards wrote, first, there are the practical economic reasons about why trans people should be cast in trans roles. It denies actual trans women opportunities, jobs, resources, which hurts the entire community. Then there's the aesthetic. Now, I agree in principle that everyone can play anyone. As an artist, I want that kind of freedom myself. But having trans people play trans people allows for a more informed, subtle and authentic performance. It makes for better art, which is the point. But all of this pales to the main reason not to have cis men play trans women. This is the reason that is making me cry as I type this. It will result in violence against trans women. And that is not hyperbole. I mean it literally. Cis men playing trans women leads to death. Here's why. I spent years looking at violence against trans women, particularly who does it and why. I talked to survivors. There's a pattern. Straight men are attracted to trans women. They always have been. They always will be. We are some of the most popular sex workers. It's a fact. But they are afraid that being with trans women makes them gay or less masculine. They seek us out, enjoy us, then punish us for their anxiety. Let's be more direct. They have sex with us, worry that makes them gay, then reassert their masculinity through violence aimed at us. So essentially what Jen Richards is saying and has communicated again through the Disclosure documentary on Netflix is that this link to acting is that if the only exposure that a lot of people have to trans women are the men who act them out, Mm. then this will have a direct link to violence. So if you have seen this story around and haven't really understood why people are very rightly passionate about it, that is exactly why. My fifth story, Dolly Parton helped fund Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine research. That is from Nine Honey. And Michelle, is there anything Dolly Parton can't do? I love Dolly Parton. I mean, I didn't really understand (laughs) when, was it you that got onto the podcast last? I was going to raise this. I think it was earlier this year or last year. Who knows? 2020 is a time. Like, what is life? What is the timeline? At some point in recent history, (laughs) I came onto the podcast and said that the Dolly Parton podcast was doing so well. And I was like, what's the deal with that? And then we got lots of feedback being like, if you don't understand Dolly Parton, you should understand Dolly Parton. And I feel like I have a better understanding of Dolly Parton. Well, go on then. Why do you care so much about this? Well, in April, less than a month after I think COVID-19 was officially declared a pandemic, Dolly Parton did donate a US 1 million, which is close to Australian 2 million, to coronavirus research at Vanderbilt Uni. And this week it was revealed that her donation did help fund Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine. So if you've been following the COVID-19 vaccine news, you'll know that Pfizer last week released their findings, which said it was more than 90% effective. This week, Moderna has come out and said ours is actually 94.5% effective. And then Pfizer have re-updated the public and said ours is now actually 95% effective. I don't mind. I'm just glad they're all effective. Battle of the vaccines. And I love that we're having a vaccine chat just before we get into a Pete Evans segment. (laughs) That's actually a great point. Anyway, so Dolly Parton did donate a huge chunk of money to the Moderna vaccine which has one of been one of the most successful ones so far we love to see it thank you Dolly 
a true icon. People fall more and more in love with Dolly Parton as she gets older, I think. She's like everyone's, could we say grandmother? Is she grandmother age? Yes, she definitely is. But you never want to just (laughs) label that on someone without their consent. She's a fairy godmother. There you go. The fairy godmother of the people. And boy, do we love her. Hey, that's all I've got for you. Thank you so much. Thank you, next bitch. Well, well, well. Remember the rumour we discussed in last week's Quick and Dirty about controversial celebrity chef Pete Evans going on I'm a Celebrity Australia? Well, it turned out to be true. The um, infa- Oracle. <laughs> the infamous anti-vax chef was set to go on Channel 10's marquee summer programme only the day before filming began, he was sent packing back to his beachside bungalow. You see, the 47-year-old had gone a step too far, even for the production company's appetite for ratings domination. Early last week, he posted a meme of a caterpillar and a butterfly having a chat. The butterfly in the meme wasn't just any old butterfly, though. It was a butterfly with a neo-Nazi symbol emblazoned on its wings. When one follower pointed out the image depicted the hateful black sun emblem, he reportedly responded, I was waiting for someone to see that. The downfall was swift and it was spectacular. Within 48 hours, Evans had lost just about every endorsement deal he had to his name. Zara, it feels like the king of the anti-science community has been toppled from his throne. What we want to do today is actually look back over at the career of Pete Evans and how it went so bloody wrong. It has been quite the bizarre career, hasn't it? Yeah, and I think what I found myself asking this week in particular is how did we get here? I feel like we were kind of breadcrumbed. I mean, maybe breadcrumbed is too subtle because the signs that Pete Evans was not someone that should be in the public eye with a public platform were pretty glaring Mm. for a long time. But because it's been such a long career, I do feel like it's been a steady radicalization of who he is. Yeah. And I when I started digging back into how Pete Evans even landed on the public eye, I just hadn't really understood a lot of it and how he came to be. Yeah, I'm the same. I feel like because we grew up in the 2000s and 2010s, we kind of only came to know Pete Evans once he was radicalized. Yeah. We didn't see him or maybe we only watched My Kitchen Rules as kids and saw him as a celebrity chef, but he wasn't really on my radar until maybe 2014, 2015. Yeah, I agree. So Pete Evans obviously started as a chef. He started some businesses with his brother, David. He started Hugo's Bondi in 1996. He followed that up with Hugo's Lounge in 2000, Hugo's Bar Pizza in 2004, and Hugo's Manly in 2008. Interestingly, Mish, over 1998 to 2011, the restaurants in the Hugo's group were awarded eight Sydney Morning Herald chef's hats, 21 Best in Australia awards, and three Best Pizza in Australia Awards at the Australian Fine Food Show. In 2005, Hugo's won Best Pizza in the World at the American Pizza Challenge in New York. Kind of feels like just reading that that he probably should have quit while he was ahead. Yeah, he was really nailing it. He also had celebrities like Kim Kardashian and Lara Bingle frequenting his restaurants. I love that Kim Kardashian <laughs> and Lara Bingle are in the same category of celebrity. Lara Worthington now, I should Very say true. as well. In 2011, Oprah... Oprah said that he had the world's best pizza. She fully endorsed Pete Evans and said he had the world's best pizza, one of the best chefs in the world that she had ever had the pleasure of eating at their restaurants. It was around that time that Oprah endorsed him, of course, that he did join Manu Fidel as the My Kitchen Rules judges. They became one of the most well-known duos on Australian TV. They won the 2014 Logie for Most Popular Reality Program. And My Kitchen Rules was ranked one or two in top rating shows for many, many years. 
Yeah, I saw a tweet earlier this week from Mark Humphreys, which I found quite funny, where he wrote, one of the early baffling things about Pete Evans was that he appeared in the first season of MasterChef and lost the Celebrity Chef Challenge to one of the amateur contestants. Within a year, Channel 7 gave him My Kitchen Rules and we've been stuck with him ever since. If this is not the story of us (laughs) elevating a mediocre white male... To the level at which we did, I don't know what is. That is harsh, but I'll go with that because it's Pete Evans and I'm not exactly going to defend him. What I find fascinating about the story of Pete Evans is how he went from successful restaurant owner and chef to alienating celebrity who apparently completely changed his personality after stumbling on riches and fame. According to his own circle, his brother Dave and his former partner Astrid Endlinger, he underwent a personality shift in 2011 when he was put on My Kitchen Rules. Yeah, I found these quotes so interesting too. So in 2017, his brother Dave, who I just spoke about before, who he opened all these restaurants with, said that his brother had been brought down by fame. Astrid, his former partner, also said he's got more famous and it inevitably changes anyone. This was a woman that he was with for 11 years. They had two children together and she gave that quote to the media. Like if she's giving that to the media saying he got more famous and it inevitably changes anyone, what is she saying behind closed doors? Like that tells me he was one person for the 11 years they were together. They had children together, very, very serious relationship and yet almost overnight becomes someone entirely different. Well, you know how we always say or joke on the podcast, but it's kind of true, like plus or minus 10% with everything we say. It's a bit like that when someone speaks to the media, but it's like plus 70%. Like people are definitely going to dull down what they say publicly. Obviously, Pete Evans became more of a controversial figure back in about 2014, Mish, and I reckon this is when he started properly coming onto our radar when he claimed that our diets were to blame for the rise in autism. Mm. Obviously, not true. And that his paleo method could prevent the condition. The following year, his cookbook for children was pulled from the shelves because it included a recipe for bone broth that health experts felt was incredibly dangerous for babies. He's also claimed in the past that sunscreen has been filled with poisonous chemicals and that Wi-Fi was dangerous. I knew all of that, but one thing I hadn't read before is that he had told one newspaper when talking about the fact that Wi-Fi was dangerous, that he combated Wi-Fi dangers by using an earthing mat so that when you're sitting at your computer, you put your feet onto a little mat and it sort of potentially negates any of the Wi-Fi issues and reconnects you to the earth. Isn't it so ironic that the chief conspiracy theorist of 5G and Wi-Fi has built a huge platform entirely dependent on having 5G and Wi-Fi. This is a man with 280,000 followers on Instagram, 1.5 million followers on Facebook, and yet he's espousing that Wi-Fi and 5G are so terrible. Well, I don't think many of the things that Pete Evans, you know, (laughs) says have much logic or like excessive reason behind him. I mean, I do really want to talk about what happened this week, Mish, because the Nazi symbol that he shared is... Obviously next level, like there is no doubt about it. There is one thing, you know, pushing conspiracy theories about health. There's another thing entirely when you are sharing Nazi symbols and also appearing to deny that the Holocaust happened, which happened in some of his comments. 
I mean, the first thing about it is it is disgusting, inexcusable racism and race-based hatred, and it is completely indefensible. And I think one of the things that has got me is some people may come to this and say, well, what if he genuinely didn't know that it was a Nazi symbol? And there was a good tweet from Sally Rugg who wrote this week, in my opinion, posting a Nazi or otherwise hateful symbol as a genuine accident is just that, a quick, embarrassing lesson that doesn't need mass scrutiny. But this is not what Pete Evans did. He knew it was a Nazi symbol and the message of that post is entirely in line with his beliefs. I mean, as I said in the intro, he literally responded to someone who said, this is the symbol of the black sun with, I was waiting for someone to see that. Unless that screenshot has been doctored, which we'll put that forward, that is a potential. He hasn't admitted that though. He hasn't said that. No. The weird thing is, is that he deleted the meme from both pages, both his Facebook and his Instagram, and then came out with a sort of not really at all apology on his page. He wrote this under an image of a love heart. Sincere apologies to anyone who misinterpreted a previous post of a caterpillar and a butterfly having a chat over a drink and perceived that I was promoting hatred. I look forward to studying all of the symbols that have ever existed and research them thoroughly before posting. Hopefully this symbol of a love heart resonates deeply into the hearts of all. Now, giving him the benefit of the doubt, I don't think he... I don't think he it was an accident, but if it was an accident and this was his apology, oh, the apology is fucking shit yeah. anyway. I look forward to studying all of the symbols that have ever existed. If you've posted a Nazi image, 99.999% recurring percent of people would come out and apologize and be like, I am so sorry for putting that out into the mainstream. It was an accident. It's a mistake. I'm going to educate myself. They would not come back with some ridiculous, sarcastic faux apology that basically points the fingers at us and makes us feel like we're idiots. Yeah, you're all the crazy ones. And I think the thing that pisses me off about Pete Evans, and I reckon I've said it on the podcast before, is this idea of he always plays dumb. Yes. So he always posts a really controversial headline or a really controversial meme and kind of does that emoji where you just put your hands up in the air and be like, so what do we think? It's cowardly. It's completely cowardly because it's like, I'm not going to exactly tie myself to this, but I'm going to use my platform to spread this idea anyway, which I find almost more annoying. Mm. Benjamin Law had another great tweet this week, Mish, which I really enjoyed and think is a really important point to make. He wrote, it's tempting to treat Pete Evans like a joke, but remember it was only last year an Australian citizen who had the same neo-Nazi symbol on his rucksack committed in Christchurch, the worst ever modern day massacre by an Australian national stop being relaxed about this stuff Mm. like I think it is very right and very important that people get mad and that the people are angry and I think this week we've seen his upcoming stint on I'm a celebrity get me out of here axed he reportedly just as he came out of quarantine his contract with publisher Pan Mac was terminated after writing what I think was 24 or 25 books with the publisher while places like Dimmix, Booktopia, David Jones, Big W, Kmart and Target have pledged to take his books off the shelves his food products were removed from the shelves of Coles and Woolworths his homeware range has been pulled by many stockists including house his food his pet food range or some pet (laughs) business that he has has been pulled and his MLM his MLM did you know he's part of one of those too doTERRA has distanced themselves from him Firstly, it's fucking ridiculous that he was this profitable before this. Like, I know that we have come on this podcast before and said, why does Pete Evans have a platform like this? But I just didn't realise he had this many arms to his business. I had no idea. And I would love to take aim at Pan Macmillan for giving him 24 or 25 book deals through all of this time, through all of the crazy shit he said. And 
only now have turned around and said, oh, yeah, it's a bit too much for us. Like, is that really where our bar is at? Yeah, well, this is the thing, right? Like, my, I'm in so many different minds about it that I would love to live in a utopia where we can hold massive corporations to this standard and think you're going to put morals and you're going to put ethical values ahead of making but money. I'm, I'm, but I don't think the average brand does. But I'm thinking more about a publisher who tells stories. Like, you're oh. working directly with an editor. Like, I do think it's different for people to just stock his products if people enjoy his mm. products, like, whatever. Mm. But I'm talking about books that talk to stories and talk to beliefs and you are working directly with an editor who is ticking that off saying yes that's that's a point of view we're standing by well the reality is that the editors he might have been working with could have agreed with him like who's to say that there weren't employees at Pam McMillan who were thinking yes this content needs to be out there and I do want to say as well that in last week's quick and dirty segment I did posit the devil's advocate position, right? Like you and I were both saying that we wish they didn't give him a platform. We wish they weren't going to put him on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here Australia. But then I did say, well, does us coming on the podcast and saying that kind of feed into the censorship argument that there's some mainstream conspiracy that's trying to pull people like him out of the limelight because they've got some wild truth to share that we're trying to push down. And I think that was probably some like willful naivety speaking because I think in reality – these people who want to be anti-science and anti-community and anti-logic and anti-reason will always exist. And the idea that we need to pander to them or the idea that we need to show them that we're giving them a chance to speak and giving them a chance to have access to the community is bullshit. Like they don't need that. They don't deserve that. If you're going to harm people, you don't deserve a platform on a primetime television program. So I do want to say, I think particularly over the last week, I've done a lot of thinking that Pete Evans being amplified to the masses will only amplify the madness and the ludicrousness of his message. And I don't think we should ever be platforming someone like that for ratings and for clicks. Yeah, or for the worry that maybe if we silence him, he'll get a bigger audience. Like Mm -hmm. I flatly deny that to be true because I think what you do when you put him on a national show, which he was about to be on a national primetime reality show, you begin to turn the middlemen Mm -hmm. and women. You Mm -hmm. begin to turn the people who may have a seat inside their brain that's kind of distrustful of mainstream media or may have a seed planted in their brain that is distrustful of certain X, Y, and Z. And he just speaks directly to them. And that's exactly the circuit breaker we need. We need to cut that Mm. sort of line of communication between the two. I mean, the thing is, this may well be the end of Pete Evans as we know him in the mainstream, on Channel 7, on Channel 10, you know, in all of our stores when we go shopping. But the reality is... I feel like he's been planning for this because he does have his EvolveNetwork.tv, which is his multimedia platform, where he charges $10 a month or $100 a year for subscribers to get lifestyle advice and recipes. The thing is, we built Pete Evans up to such a level that it almost doesn't matter now that he doesn't have the the mainstream audience that we want to now take from him. Like, it's almost too late. The people that wanted to find Pete Evans found him. And I don't mean to end this episode as sort of a... I don't know, negative Nancy, but he has found his people. And it does make me wonder through all this, are we only going to de-platform people when they promote race-based hatred or are we going to catch them a bit earlier next time when perhaps the warning signs are there? Yeah, I agree. One small glimmer of light to counter your darkness. Thank you. Is that it does appear like social media platforms have shadow banned him. So it's actually very difficult at the moment to find his content. It's not being pushed out to people's feeds. And hopefully over the long run, we see that although his audience size 
size is big, it doesn't continue to grow. Hopefully we see him at least stagnate from here. And at this rate, I will take that as a positive. If we can just keep him at what he is now, at least it doesn't mean that he's growing and spreading lies and poison to more and more people. Yeah, that's really true. Hey, I think that is all we've got time for today. I think it is. Guys, if you want to keep up with us during the week, please come follow us on Instagram. We are at Shameless Podcast. On TikTok, we are at Shameless underscore podcast. We have a newsletter. We have a website. For all the good stuff, head to www.shamelessthepodcast.com. If you would like to help out the show, as always, hit that big green button on Spotify that says follow. Also hit subscribe on Apple if you're listening on Apple. That just helps us, you know, push out into more people's feeds and helps more people find the show. But for now, we will be back in your ears on Thursday. We absolutely will. Bye, guys. Have a great week. Bye. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.